so glad that you're here. Also want to say a word of welcome for those who are joining us uh, who do not own umbrellas, who stayed at home today on the internet. I'm glad that you're with us today. All right. If you were to travel to Washington, D.C., one of the things that you're going to find there is you're going to find a lot of peace monuments. Everywhere you go, there's a peace monument. And the reason there's so many peace monuments is because they built one after every war. And there are a lot of wars. In fact, after the war to end all wars, that was World War II, just up the road a little bit there in New York City, they established the United Nations. And in doing so, they said, we want to do this, establish this group in order, and I quote, that succeeding generations might be free from the scourge of war. Interesting fact to know and tell is since that day that they established the United, United Nations so that the future generations would be free from the scourge of war. There has not been one single day to this day that there hasn't been a war somewhere active in the world. The world is in great need of peace at all levels. Uh, we need peace in Syria. We need peace in the Ukraine. We need peace in Ferguson, Missouri. We need peace in our homes and in our schools, in our churches, in our workplace. And yet peace seems to be elusive, does it not? And who is it that's going to bring about the peace that we all desperately need? It's not going to be presidents. It's not going to be dictators. It's not going to be diplomats or ambassadors. Only God can bring about peace. Uh, we started a brand new series. You're getting in right on the beginning of it. We began a couple of weeks ago, and we're talking about the nine. And the nine uh, is talking about the nine virtues or the nine expressions of what is known in the Bible as the fruit of the Spirit. You find that in Galatians, the fifth chapter. There's a list of those nine virtues. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about love. And yet we said it's a different love than most of us think about love. It's agape love. It's a love that only God has, but it's a love that God can produce in us. It's an unmerited, unprovoked love. It's a love that's very wide, wide enough to include everyone. It's a love that's long. And that can outlast anything. It's, it's a love that's high, that's not tethered down to lower emotions and dependent upon emotions. And it is a deep love that's willing to pay any price. And then last week we talked about joy, the joy that God wants to create in us to go along with that love. And, and, we, and we, we once again said, as we did with love, that it's not something that we produce, but it's something that God produces in us, but we have to cooperate we talked about weeding out of the garden of our life those things that are joy killers. And we talked about cooperating with God by cultivating those things that bring about joy in our relationships. But the most important point that was made last week as we talked about joy is it only comes as we abide in Jesus Christ. That's the source of that joy. And you remember we went to John the 15th chapter and we talked about the fact that there's a metaphor there that's going to be a metaphor throughout this series when Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Unless the branch abides in the vine, it cannot bear fruit. If you don't remember anything else, it says we stay connected to Christ. That he creates a love that this world has never seen. Uh, it is only as we stay connected to Christ does a joy come about that's not dependent upon circumstances. And then today we talk about peace. By the way, if you weren't with us the first couple of weeks... 
Uh, we uh, handed out some free packets. They're still, those kits are still left there. In fact, we've today given away about 10,000 of these free packets. And it's some helps for you and your family to have conversations. Our challenge to you is to have nine different conversations about the nine different expressions of the fruit of the Spirit. And so I hope if you haven't already grabbed one that uh, you'll do it. Even if you don't have an immediate family living with you, you could use it with your Christian friends to have those discussions. Now, as we talk about today peace, the third expression of the fruit of the Spirit, it, it begins with peace with God. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to Romans 5. If you don't, if you'll just look there on the back of your worship guide, it's the second scripture that's listed, Romans 5, 1 that says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where it begins. Uh, you, you've seen me draw this before if you've been around here any at all. And that is just a, a little drawing here that kind of illustrates what it's talking about there in Romans, the fifth chapter. And that is that God is over here and we're over here. We're separated by a great chasm between our God because we're sinners. That word sin, S-I-N, the most important letter is the middle one because it's the letter I. And that's what separates us from God when we think, I'm going to be in charge of my own life. I am going to be my own God. I know better than God. And when that happens, we push God out of our life. And the first step to having peace is for God to be back in our life, for us to have peace with God. And the way that happens is not by going to church and it's not by trying to be good enough to earn our way back to God. None of those bridges can reach across there. There's only one bridge that reaches all the way across and I think you'll recognize the shape of it. It is Jesus. And it is through Jesus as it says in Romans 5.1 that we have peace with God. That's the beginning of peace in our world is for us to have peace with God. In Isaiah 53, 5, it says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And so when we put our faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that's when we can have peace with God, and that's where it begins. Now, after we have peace with God and only after we have peace with God can we have the peace of God. Well, Steve, what do you mean peace of God versus peace with God? Uh, they're also listed in your worship guide. On, there on the back is the scripture, John 14, 27. Look, if you will. In John 14, 27, these are the words of Jesus. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled nor let them be fearful. Now, he's telling us what peace is there. Peace is the opposite of a troubled heart or for us to be worried. So a, a peace is the opposite of fear for us to uh, have anxiety. And, and so he wants to give us the peace of God. It's a lack of worry. It's a lack of fear. It's one thing to have a relationship with God. It's another thing to live in this fallen world without worry and without anxiety. Scripture describes this peace in 2 Thessalonians 3.16. In 2 Thessalonians 3.16 it says, Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant to you peace 
in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. And so this kind of peace, the peace of God, is a kind of peace that it doesn't matter what the circumstance is. You get bad news about your health. You find out terrible news about your finances. Uh, you uh, have a relational blow up. It says that I want to give you this peace in every circumstance. I'm going to grant it to you. The scripture goes on to describe it. Philippians 4, 7, it says, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. First of all, he tells us that it, it baffles the mind. When you get this piece of God, it doesn't make sense. It's beyond comprehension. Don't try to figure it out. It's just there. I just talked to uh, a lady in our church who's been coming to our church for almost three decades. And a little over a year ago, she lost her husband, the love of her life, and she walked up after the service. He says, Steve, I've experienced the peace of God. It doesn't make sense. But the moment that I knew my husband was gone, the moment God gave me this peace, it didn't make sense. It was just a gift from God. Notice what it says here. It says that it will guard both your hearts and your minds. It guards your heart, how you feel, but it also guards your mind, what you think about. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. This peace that passes all understanding, uh, how does that come about? What is, what is the peace of God? Again, look in your worship guide there on the back. Romans, the fifth chapter, I want to read the rest of that scripture. Look down starting in verse 3. Not only this, but we exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings what? It brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through how? The Holy Spirit who was given to us. Don't miss this. There's a predictable process. Those of us who have peace with God, the way we get the peace of God is by God pruning in our life. It's one thing to be connected to God. Go back to John the 15th chapter. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. You can't bear unless you're connected to me. But then it goes on if you read on and it says, he prunes the branches. He prunes the branches. How does he prune the branches? One of the ways that he prunes us is through his word. His word tells us what is unnecessary in our life. His word tells us what is disease in our life that needs to be pruned out. His word tells us what is a distraction in our life that needs to be removed. Sucker branches that keep us from bearing more fruit. But one of the ways, one of the primary ways that God prunes our lives is through tribulation. Look back there in Romans, the fifth chapter. It says, first of all, tribulation comes. Nobody likes tribulation, but God is not afraid of tribulation. In fact, I want to say this. A lot of times when tribulation comes or crisis comes, problems comes in your life and mine, we question the love of God. We say, God... Uh, why would you, if you really love me, why would you allow this to happen? One of the things that I've learned in my life is that if a loving God, he doesn't cause it, but if he allows tribulation to come into my life, he must know something that I don't know yet. He must know that his grace is sufficient. He must know that God can redeem even the worst that happens to us, the worst that anybody can do to us. And that's why he doesn't supernaturally step in and remove all tribulation. In fact, God will use tribulation as his scalpel to do surgery in my life 
So if tr tribulation comes, notice what comes next. What comes out of that, if I respond correctly, if I trust God, what comes is perseverance. Perseverance is the ability to wait on God. Here's this crisis comes. And I'm, I'm thinking that this person, I'm depending on this person. I have deified this person. I'm depending on this person way too much. And God allows this person to be removed. I'm depending on this job, or I'm depending on this money, or I'm depending on this health or this pleasure. And I think I've got to have those things to be happy. And God allows tribulation to come into my life. He allows that to happen. And I stand there in faith. And I say, God, I don't like this. God says, well, are you going to leave? And I'm like, well, no. I mean, you're my God. You created me. You sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me. Who, who am I going to go to? And I stay, and I don't step outside of God's will to meet that need, that whatever that thing or that circumstance or that person was that I was relying on that now has been removed. I don't step outside of God's will to have that need met. And what happens in God's perfect time he meets that need. He does it one of two ways. He will either supernaturally change things back to the way they need to, and I realize that it's from God, or he will give me grace to live without that thing, person, or circumstance, and I'm going to guarantee you that is just as good as the supernatural intervention. And so what happens is perseverance comes about in my life, the ability to wait on God. And you know what per perseverance creates? Perseverance creates character. Where this is no longer something I have to choose to do, it is my immediate default is to trust God in all circumstances. It's like exercising of spiritual muscles. When the strain, the weight that comes because of tribulation and I persevere, I keep on doing what God has called me to do, what it does is it builds my spiritual muscle, it builds my character and that produces the final product which is hope which is another word for peace. I don't become hopeless. I don't lose my hope. I have a peace that passes all understanding that guards my heart, how I feel, and my mind, how I think. And other people don't understand it. But if you've been in a crisis and you've trusted God and you waited on him and he came through for you, you have hope. And there's nothing that this world can throw at you now that will take away your hope, that will take away your peace. First of all, it begins with peace with God when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And then God, through the process of his word and the process of tribulation, he gives us the peace of God as we are not only connected to him, but we are corrected by him. And then and only then can we become peacemakers where we make peace with others and we help others make peace with each other in Matthew the fifth chapter it says blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God those of us who have made our peace with God and we have allowed him to create in us the peace of God people look and they say I recognize him I, I recognize her I can tell they've been with God. I can tell what they have received from God. They're children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And, and we are now equipped to make peace. In Colossians, the third chapter, 
In verse 15, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That word rule there, the Greek word, is the same word that we get our word umpire from. So let the peace now that you have, not only the peace with God, but the peace of God that's now in your heart, that's now ingrained, now as a part of your character, let it be the umpire for all of your relationships. What would any sporting event be like without an umpire? It'd be total chaos without somebody to keep the peace. Now, what would baseball be like without an umpire? What would basketball be like without an umpire? What would football, what would hockey, well, never mind. <clears throat> That's what it would be like. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. See, what happens is, is that when we have the peace of God, we're able to make peace with others. Now, let me very, very, very quickly talk about what peace is not. First of all, peace is not pretending. You know, a lot of times we just stop fighting. And there's a pretending that things are okay. And all we've done is disengage for a while. All we've done is called a truce. You know what a truce is? That's a timeout so we can reload our weapons. That's what a truce is. You, you go to the Middle East now. I've, I've gone up on the Golan Heights and I've looked over into Syria. And I see all the barbed wire and all the, all the, all the mine, minefields. I mean, it's one bullet it's one bomb away from just blowing up that's that's not peace that's ceasing hostilities for a temporary time but it's not peace and a lot of times we do that in our relationships we just say we're going to stop fighting for a while but we're one wrong word we're one wrong move away from it all breaking out again that's not peace I saw a cartoon years ago. And in fact, I tried to find it this week and I couldn't find it and it's talking about the difference between what we're saying and what we're really thinking and there was, a, there was a first caption, the first little frame there, it had somebody from New York City, and out of their mouth was coming all the, these cuss words, and they had all the little symbols for cuss words, profanity. But what the person was really saying was, have a good day. And then it showed somebody from Texas, and they were saying, have a good day, and above them in their mind is all these cuss words, all right? <laughs> you know people like that who, you know, you, they're smiling at you, and they're saying the right thing. They're putting on a good show. But the moment they leave you, they're talking about you behind their back. They're conniving. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about pretending. But we're also not talking about passivity. We're not talking about peace at any price. We're not talking about becoming a doormat for someone else and just saying, well, the only way to keep peace is just let them have their way all the time. No, we're not talking about that. What we're talking about is we're talking about pursuing reconciliation. Scripture says, as far as it is possible with you, live at peace with all men, which tells me that it's not possible to live at peace with some people. But as far as you are concerned, because you have peace with God, because now you have the peace of God, and you're not desperate to change circumstances. You're not desperate and need to change things or get or grab. You're free to make peace. There's a greater freedom to make peace. There's a wonderful passage in Philippians where it talks about Jesus Christ coming here to make peace with us. And it talks about because he had everything, he had the freedom to lay it all down, to come and make the first move to initiate peace, the prince of peace. And that's what gave him that freedom. When we have the peace of God, we have the freedom then to make peace. In 1982, when Jimmy Carter left the presidency, he established the Carter Center in Atlanta, Georgia. 
and it has several purposes, but one of its own stated purposes is, was, was and is to wage peace. And, and as a part of that process, the, the Carter Center asked the question, why do we fight with one another? Or another way to put it, why are there wars? Well, did you know the scripture tells us that? In James, the fourth chapter, verse 1, it says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Source of all conflict is the fact that we don't have peace with God. Source of all conflict is that we don't have the peace of God. He has not pruned pruned out of our life our dependency on circumstances going our way and people doing what we want them to do or having stuff we haven't learned to put our trust in him Isaiah the 26th chapter verse 3 and Isaiah 26 3 it says the steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace why because he trusts in you guys don't miss this when we're trusting and manipulating and pressuring and fighting and getting our way, we can't make peace. We can't afford peace. But when we put our trust in him, when we have the peace of God, then we can make peace with others. And, and we don't always give in and we don't always let someone else have their way, but we're able to, with clear and calm perspective, we're able to be the adult in the room. And we're able to initiate and we're able to bring people together scripture tells us that we have been called to that in second corinthians the fifth chapter second corinthians the fifth chapter in verse 18 it says now all these things from god who reconciled us to himself through christ and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation he made it possible for us to have peace with God. And now he's called us to be peacemakers. And we're free to do that primarily because we have the peace of God. We're okay with what he's given us. Now I want you to, I want you to think about the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to think about the way the fruit is listed there. Go back and look at Galatians 5, 23. It says, love, joy, and then peace. When we receive the love of God and he brings the true joy into our life, then and only then are we satisfied or we have peace. We have the peace of God. And it's only after we have the love and the joy and the peace and our needs are met, then are we able to express the character or the maturity that comes out of that relationship. Following from that is patience. Following that is kindness, goodness, faithfulness or loyalty gentleness we're able to control ourselves but it comes from the basis of peace with God and peace of God we were able to make peace with others in Romans the 14th chapter in verse 19 it says this it says so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Now look at the first two words there. So then we pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. What's he talking about, so then? Well, it comes out of Romans, the 14th chapter. The Romans is the whole book of the Bible that talks about how we have peace with God. 
And because we have peace with God, because of that, on the basis of that, so then pursue those things which makes for peace with others and build each other up. Here's the problem when we try to make peace with each other. You know, if you hang around church for a while, if you read the Bible for a while, you learn that there's things that you do and you don't do when you talk to somebody else. The Bible says in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, that we're to speak clearly to each other, that we're not to pout, we're to speak the truth, but we're to speak the truth in love. We're to be clear about what we're upset about. We're to be calm about what we're uh, about to be. In that same chapter, it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It says, keep short accounts, keep it current. And then it says, be constructive. It says, don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification to the need of the moment. And and we we can learn how to talk and communicate and how to negotiate with each other, how to compromise, and when it's necessary to capitulate. But guys, when you get into the heat of the battle, when you get into that discussion, when somebody's wanting a little bit more and you're wanting a lot more, it all goes south if you're not trusting in him, if you fall back to trusting in that person or that circumstance or those things that you're trying to grab, it goes south quick. Some of the best advice I ever got about peacemaking is when somebody said to me, before you talk to them, I think you need to talk to God. Wow. And I have found that that makes all the difference in the world. Before you talk to your enemy, before you talk to that person you're in conflict with, before you talk to that person who's hurt you deeply, talk to God about talking to them. And the reason that's such great advice is because what I've learned is I forget, I forget about the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that will guard both my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. I forget that I don't need to change anything or anybody to have peace. I need to talk to God before I talk to them because I forget that I don't need to be right. (laughs) I forget that I don't have to have my way every time. I need to talk to God before I talk to them because I forget that when I abide in him, when I am connected to him and I am being corrected by him, God's enough. The other stuff's the details. You win a few, you lose a few. You don't always give in because it's not good for other people for you to give in, but you do it in a kind way. You do it in a gentle way. And you give more than maybe that in a true sense would be fair, but you can do that. You can afford that because all of your needs are being met in Christ Jesus. When I remember that I have peace with God and when I remember that I have the peace of God, then I find myself fully equipped to be a peacemaker, not only in my relationships with others, but to step in and help other people to make peace. That's a fruit that God wants to produce in you and I to such an extent that when people see us, when they watch how we live, they watch how we treat people, they watch how we talk about other people behind their backs, They say, he's a child. She's a child of God. Let's thank God for that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the fruit of the Spirit.
And thank you, dear Father, that you want to produce in us something that we cannot produce of ourselves. Thank you, dear Father, that you even take the very worst things in our life and you use them to produce that fruit. It's hard for us to say today, but we thank you for tribulation. Because when we know we, when we choose to trust in you instead of things, persons, or circumstances, that you can redeem all of the pain to produce a wonderful fruit that blesses the lives of the people we live with and the people we do business with, people that uh, we worship with. We thank you for all that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.